At special times, believers in the Old and New Testaments believe that they ought to make covenants together vowing that they would obey King Jesus. Following in their footsteps, in 1638, Scottish Christians signed the National Covenant which rejected the enforcement of prelacy on the Presbyterian Church. When threatened to have these rights taken away, the Scottish Covenanters in 1639 united under the Blue Banner which read, For Christ's Crown and Covenant. As direct theological descendants of the Scottish Covenanters, the RPCNA still honors the Blue Banner for what it stands for, that Jesus is the only head and king of his church. The Blue Banter podcast's goal is to go about informing the reforming by introducing you to our pastors and under-shepherds of Christ's church. By listening to this podcast, you will have greater clarity on the blessings and challenges faced by each of our congregations. We pray that the Lord blesses you through this podcast for Christ's crown and his covenant. We want to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Blue Banter podcast, a podcast where we're seeking to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and also to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from interviews with uh, men that are currently serving in the ministry. My name is Joe Smith. I'm the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana. And if you like Garfield the comics, the little cat that likes lasagna, Marion is the place for you. Because Jim Davis, the author of those uh, cartoons, was born and raised here. And we have probably 10 to 15 different statues of Garfield. So if you want to come worship with us and then take your picture with Garfield, we are the place uh, for you. Um, And as uh, young Reformed pastors, both Joe and I have a beard. And Joe, I should tell you that uh, your beard's ruffling the mic just a little bit. So just be aware of that as we go. We want our you know, listeners to enjoy this podcast, not to have their <laughs> ears grinded to death. <laughs> but okay. uh, we're joined uh, by Ryan Hemphill. Ryan is a, a church planter out in um, Idaho. Um, we're mm-hmm. excited to have Ryan in here and uh, um, just want to welcome you to the podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, guys. And I'm glad to see fellow bearded pastors. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think you've got us on the so. beard there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a good three or four inches longer than uh, I think Joe and I's combined. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably do yeah. for a trim. Keep it in, well, keep it in line. I, I, I leave that up to your discretion, I guess. <laughs> so you were uh, you were telling us before we uh, started recording this podcast, you were uh, sure. born and raised in the RPC. And I wonder if you could before we really get into the nitty gritty, kind of give us that uh, background. Yeah, I uh, was born and raised in our Shawnee Reformed Presbyterian Church, and uh, my father was a longtime deacon there. My grandfather, my mom's dad, was a longtime ruling elder in that church, um, and uh, left there in 2006 to go to Pittsburgh to start seminary, um, and that's where I met my wife, Alicia, and uh, we Got married in the midst of seminary um, about a week before graduation. Our first child was born. Then we moved out to Seattle and I was there for 11 and a half years as the pastor of the Seattle RP church. And then in 2021 moved from Seattle to uh, the the Boise, Idaho area called Treasure Valley and uh, started church planting work here. And we now have six kids. Okay. So well, three congratulations. Boys, two girls, or three boys, three girls. Math yes, isn't sir. my strong point. Um, <laughs> well, that's why we go into theology, right? <laughs> well, my wife's an accountant, and, and there's a reason God gave me an accountant for a wife. So. Okay. Well, and the I, only mathematics you need to know is, you know, one and three, right? That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> that's you got to get right. Anything higher than that is just beyond my <laughs> comprehension. Right. So you're you're engaged in church planting there in the, the Boise uh, area. How, how long have you been engaged in that? What kind of drew you out there? Um, and then sure. how is the church plant going? Yeah, um, we'll start. We we moved out here in May of 2021 and started worship services June of 2021. So we've been going wow. for coming up on two years. Um, what drew us out here um I guess some background, you know, we're in the Pacific Coast Presbytery and the Pacific Coast Presbytery is spread out over a large geographical area. 
and to put in perspective, you know, I said I grew up in outside of Kansas City. Um, our mecca is, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, so that's a 14 hour drive between Kansas City and Pittsburgh. And you, you know, Aaron, you're in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at I 70, there's all those RP churches in between the two. When I got to Seattle in 2009, our closest RP church was Fresno, California, mm-hmm. which was 14 hours away. And then our next closest church was actually Laramie, Wyoming. And then our third closest church is where you're at, Joe, uh, Westminster. Hmm. Um, And so that is when I got there being used to surrounded, you know, relatively close to other RP churches than just being isolated. And that coupled with, I've always had a desire for church planting. Um, And uh, I almost out of seminary accepted the call to the Manhattan church plant, um, but decided, you know, God made it clear the, that that wasn't the time to begin church planting for me. So I came to Seattle in 2011 when our presbytery celebrated centennial. We began praying as a session in Seattle that God would use us to plant a North Pacific presbytery. Uh, Seattle is the mother church of the Pacific Coast. Uh, started It's been a continuous congregation since 1892, and our presbytery was formed in 1911. Um, so every week we began praying for three strategic areas, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Portland, Oregon, and Boise, Idaho. And um, we chose those because of the kind of cultural centers of those regions. Um, Boise being, it's still an eight-hour drive to Seattle from Boise, but it's the capital of the state. And we've never had an RP church in Idaho. And so that's where we set our focus. And um, then fast forward about 10 years, I kind of began discerning that my gifts had been used in Seattle. Um, I wasn't actively looking for anything. My situation I had in Seattle was great. We had a good session, worked well together, good deacon board. Um, We had no controversies or anything like that. Um, And I didn't want to leave the Northwest, so I wasn't actively looking for anything. But then as, you know, the years kind of went on from there, Boise kept coming back to my mind and Alicia and I began chatting, like, what do you think about moving to Boise? And so we began you know, talking with the session. They were on board. We, uh, before we made an announcement about our investigation into Boise, we let the congregation know and they were behind it. And then they actually, when the decision came to move here, Seattle supported me financially for the first year so that we could get started on a good, good foundation. So that's what led us to Boise. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the work itself, we started with three households. So including my own, it was very much a parachute drop. We had two households here locally that were interested. And then mine. Can I pause you for just a second? Sure. Um, Yeah. So how how did you find out about the two households? Were you in communication with people in Boise there? We actually, when we, uh, fall of 2020, we sent out a CoveyNet email um, just declaring, you know, letting people know what our intentions were and that we were investigating this opportunity and that they would pray for us, but also if they knew of anyone interested or even willing to move with us to let us know. So from that, the Home Mission Board posted that to its Facebook page. And then there was a former OPC church in the Boise area that closed in 2013 that was an exclusive psalm singing church and the pastor there is the former pastor there was Glenn a man named Glenn Farrell and he sent that notice from Facebook to uh, two men who were ruling elders with him uh, in that work and they then contacted me and so that's how we got that group together Okay. And so now that's grown from, well, we have six households as members and then a seventh adherent family that's been attending for about four or five months. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty exciting within two years to kind of double what you started with. Yeah. And it's, it's really been amazing to see what God has been doing. Um, You know, I, I tell people I'm not, 
if you look up a church planter in the dictionary, I'm not the shining example of a church planter. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not a charismatic guy by any means. I'm not, you know, when you take those personality tests, I, I have no extroverted tendencies whatsoever. <laughs> I'm, I'm a zero and a 10. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and uh, so, but you know, God in his goodness, he's, he's provided us a place to meet that we can have morning and evening worship. Um, uh, and it's right. It's central in the Valley so that people from all over it's about equidistance for us to travel and get to. And uh, you know, we, we've got guys that, Again, our initial group probably wouldn't be your definition of, yeah, this is a good core group to start with. We, our, our core households, we were the youngest core household. So mm. the other two were um, older. And, but yet with that, there's an incredible amount of experience that they have. And both of the husbands having served as ruling elders, uh, they've been through all the ups and downs of church life. Uh, their their feathers aren't ruffled by things aren't going like we think they should, and there's a steadiness to them that I think is very valuable. And uh, so, yeah, it's God's been very good for us. Yeah. Now, do you have any other um, elders at this point, or is it still just kind of you and I mean these guys who just did me. serve as elders? But okay. Yeah, we're. I mean, we've we've talked. You know, when the day comes for us to particularize, I think the Lord's provided us. There's a willingness on their part to serve. If they're called to, they understand they may not be called to, but there's a willingness to do it. Yeah, I'm just I'm just fascinated to hear, Ryan, um, you know, when we're in seminary, it's, it is it is a lot of the theology and theory. Um, mm-hmm. and then we have to get out and we apply that. And uh, that's what seminary is for, to give us the tools to get out in the real world and then apply those things and all of the messes and complexities that we find. But uh, one thing, you know, we're just learning as we ask guys about <laughs> preaching and, and everything like that is there's not, it's, um, there is no exact right way. Uh, there are some things that a sermon ought consist of, but that doesn't mean preaching is a science. You know, it's more of an art in a lot of ways. So I'm just fascinated, you know, what, what maybe um, counsel could you have for a guy who's in seminary right now and they've, they came in with a heart for church planting, but they've been demotivated, turned off by some of these personality things, you know, like that they just don't fit the mold. They don't fit the paradigm. And so maybe they've started thinking this isn't for me. And yet you're someone who's broken the mold and is self-conscious about that and is having some success in that. So just uh, what counsel or encouragements could you give to guys who are thinking through that, but may not, may not fit the mold? Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I think one of the things that uh, Numbers teaches us that God can speak out of the, a donkey if he chooses to. And uh, so it's uh, it's one of the things that I think God is, throughout scripture, he repeatedly does things that are uh, done in a way that he gets the glory. Um, that uh, he he constantly takes what is weak and small and insignificant in the world's eyes. And he does great things through it. Um, so, you know, my, my whole evangelistic methodology and philosophy is uh, I'm more of a primary means of grace type evangelistic effort. I don't discredit or discount other means. And we strive to do those. We go door to door. We hosted a spring conference last year. Uh, with that, um, I've, you know, we, we go to parks occasionally and, you know, hand out stuff. So all of that is great and should be done because the gospel needs to go out. But I think um, the goal of those things is always to bring people to the primary means of grace and how God has been building his church um, for perpetuity has been through those primary means of grace that he's given. And it's, it's the specific means that he's used where he's actually promised, I'm going to work in this way. And uh, he's calling us to go out to bring people to that. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, one are, um, I would say to young preachers, um, especially those who are desiring to church plant, you know, seek godly counsel. I mean, he's, it's, we should never be doing something just because we feel like we should be doing something. You know, even 
you know, when I went to seminary, you know, and young men, hopefully have all, all done this in our circles, they've gone to their pastor, they've gone to their session, they've gone to Presbytery, and then they, they embark on the training because there is a evident gifting here. And it's still, though, you go through that process of being examined and being tested to have that external confirmation of what you sense going on inside. In the same way, you know, when I was discerning whether or not to come to Seattle or, or whether or not to take the Manhattan work, you know, we were called to seek counsel and to listen to those trusted advisors. And uh, even in moving here to Boise, as we sought counsel, you know, often I was, I would seek counsel and I would be waiting for someone to say, no, Ryan, this is a really dumb idea. You need to stop. And um, I think Pastor Daniel Howell was the only one that said I was crazy, but um, <laughs> he didn't tell me to stop. So, um, and that those bits of counsel need to be listened to. Um, it may be that you have a heart, like I went to seminary, I had a heart for church planting. Um, the Manhattan work at that time, you know, was something that I think would have been really, I was looking forward to, I almost accepted it. Um, uh, Wade Mann, in Sean, when he was in Shawnee at that time, he was, he, he's still my mentor. We talk week after week, and I would have been working closely with him. My, my side of the family would have been just, you know, two hours away from us, and uh, it had a lot of good things going for it. But God made it clear that at that point in my training, I, I wasn't ready. And, um, you know, we can get into that if you want, but it was, um, it was God just saying not at this time. And he had a plan for me later after he had done some more working in me to then send me out and be a church planter. That's good. Yeah. Um, so what, what, um, when it did come to what, what are just maybe some of those things, you know, again, just, we're trying to help guys that, that, uh, you know, are starting off. What would be some of those things that you maybe remember um, mm -hmm. that that did lead you to pass up the Manhattan opportunity at that point in time, and then now, you know, eleven and a half years later, uh, go for that that desire of the church planning? Sure. Um, for me, it goes down comes down to um, you know you mentioned it. Um, seminary trains us with a lot of theology and book knowledge and, um, you know, the advantage of RPTS is you have professors who have been through those issues in their own pastoral ministries that they can bring to the classroom. But even still, there's nothing like just being a pastor and being in the ministry to really season you and mold you and shape you. I think, you know, one of the reasons um, that I decided to decline Manhattan was I talked to a seasoned church planter and um, he didn't discourage me from doing it at all. Um, he was actually very encouraging, but he also had, having been through it as a young man, his own opinion was of maybe men right out of seminary aren't ideal church planters. And that's, we tend we, and that's not to discredit those who are currently church planting right out of seminary in our denomination, because God gifts men in very variety, variety of ways. And there are those who are just ready to go and can get right into it. Um, but I think as a whole, you know, church planting offers just a whole host of different stresses and concerns that an established church plant doesn't have. And um, I think for me, I needed I needed to be seasoned a little bit to through some issues with a stable congregation and come through those to then be set up for, you know, the ups and downs of church planting ministry. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so just kind of building off of that. I mean, you, you, you said you're a Midwest guy and then you went 14 hours East for a bit, but now you seem like a guy who's fallen in love with the Pacific Northwest. You didn't want to leave mm -hmm. there. Um, and so just being a, a Midwest guy, Aaron and I are both Midwest guys from Indiana. Um, what is it that's, I, I'd be interested just what's, what's made you fall in love with the Northwest, but then also mm -hmm. 
uh, just what are some of the blessings and challenges of ministry in uh, the Northwest. And then, and then if you even sure. want to talk on some of the blessings and challenges of, of kind of being on an Island versus a context in Shawnee where you were far from on an Island in, in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. two places where, you know, maybe have the most concentration of RP churches. So quite, quite the transition and, and be interested to hear your perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, we've, my family and I fell in love with the Northwest. Um, Mainly, it's the the, uh, the the climate. I mean, the the actual creation. <laughs> um, it's it's beautiful. I mean, I mm-hmm. I grew up in Kansas. I still I think wholeheartedly Kansas is beautiful, and I love Kansas. And I always kind of when people make fun of Kansas, get a little. Like, <laughs> you just don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> You've never seen a sunset like Kansas. But, yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. but the uh um but having said that even like looking back i think seattle itself uh is probably one of the most beautiful places on earth i mean i, I really it's it's it has everything around it it has these mat, uh, beautiful mountain ranges um water you can go you know uh, boating and things like that it's got um a rainforest on the peninsula that you can go through. I mean, it's just got everything um, uh, from a, you know, hiking outdoors, just whatever you want to do. Um, but then there's also in part, of, you know, in, in the Northwest, cause we're still, Idaho is still part of the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, the part of Idaho we're in is a little bit different. It's more of a closer to Colorado, I think, than, you know, the typical Northwest that you might think we're considered high desert not mm-hmm. as elevated as where you, you guys are, where you are in Colorado, but um, it's still, it, it's, it's beautiful, just a different type of beauty, but we're still uh, surrounded by mountains, right? Nestled in this valley. And uh, um, it's a beautiful area to go to. We also, um, the people itself, um, I think looking back at 2020 and the whole, you know, pandemic and closing down, services and things like that i know in in seattle we did virtual worship services for three months where i was the only one there preaching and then after three months we started bringing people back in um but those three months were extremely difficult simply because one of the my one of my favorite things on a sunday was after the morning service you know as pastor you walk back to the back of the auditorium and you wait for people to greet you there are some weeks where i was just ignored and you know you might hear that and think well that's weird but what i got to do is i got to stand there and i could look out i could hear all these conversations going on and people uh, catching up on their day you know uh, embracing one another um, encouraging one another and seeing the body of christ be the body of christ and you know during those three months i was just gone it was you know mm-hmm. I, I was done preaching and then it was just dead silent um so that the people really um uh, in the church specifically um what was what we fell in love with and that was what drew us to seattle to begin with was the reputation of the congregation to be such a loving and encouraging congregation we found that out to be true um and uh you know the the differences between you know, Seattle and Idaho in, the, in, in ministry, um, they're polar opposites and, mm-hmm. and, but yet have similar challenges. Uh, Seattle is this weird dichotomy between high intellectuals and new age nature worship. Mm-hmm. It's just really strange combination, but that's ministry wise. That's what Seattle is. And it's the least church city per capita. Mm-hmm. Um, in the United States and has, you know, at, at one time, um, half of all unplanned pregnancies would end in abortion. Um, uh, and, and people just, you know, there's, I think over like half the population had at least a bachelor's degree. So, I mean, it's just this weird, uh, combination of things, but yet in that there's, you know, where the battle lines are drawn and you know, where 
okay, they're anti-Christian. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there it's a hard mission field there. Mm-hmm. In Idaho, it's there's a godless morality in the Treasure Valley. Um, we're probably the second most um we probably have the second most number of Mormons, um, Mormon churches wards next to Salt Lake City. Uh, we have it's just scattered throughout and prevalent throughout the uh, the Treasure Valley, and um, so you have people that are typically conservative politically, um, but it's all outward morality. There's no you know real change of heart, and there's and people who think they're okay and really have no need. So hard soil and just different ways. One is openly opposed. The other one is thinks they're on the right track and they're not. Mm-hmm. What, what yeah. would be, um, what are, what are, what are some of the, the blessings other than just the, the beauty and the able, uh, you know, ability to appeal to the beauty of, of God's creation and things like that. Um, what, what would be some of the blessings of being up there in the, in the Northwest area? Um, I think, well, mentioned before I me mean, church wise, just, uh, you know, the Seattle church itself is, it's a very, it's a great congregation and, and very loving and encouraging, um, and, uh, very supportive. That was a real great blessing for us as a family. Um, especially when you are remote, you are kind of on an Island, you know, um, you know, pastor Nathan Eshelman down in Orlando when he was in LA, you know, we had all we would kind of joke that the Pacific Coast Presbytery was kind of like the island of misfit toys of the RPCNA. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, um, but uh, in that though, there is a a bond, and yeah. that was always a great blessing um, for us, and in something that we're experiencing here as well. Just um, uh, one thing about the West and the Northwest also is. There is a certain amount of, I mean, being remote, there is a certain amount of, well, not so much in Seattle, but in Idaho, freedom. Um, and um, that's that's a blessing. I mean, I was actually surprised that when we got to Seattle, some of the things that maybe conservative states would find really enjoyable were alive and well in Seattle. You know, we homeschooled. We had a lot of freedom homeschooling, very little restrictions on it. Um, you know, it's and uh, but yeah, that's the the blessings, though. I mean, the it is hard politically in the Northwest. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, I was, you know, thankful at times that the RP stance had a stance that typically you don't take part in elections because you know I, I know in seattle oftentimes i'll just figure like why bother <laughs> you're just kind of fighting against a a big wave of you know liberalism and things like that but um, yeah no the, the yeah, blessings I, is too i think in that there's a whole host of opportunity for ministry but yeah yeah, I was just going to say, I've, I've recognized here, I'm not sure where, where Denver and the Boulder and those areas are on the per capita compared to the unchurched in um, in Seattle. I know like Colorado Springs definitely has more of a Christian heritage than up here in Denver and stuff. But it is interesting what you note. Know, it seems like in an area like that, at least what I've recognized so far, is it can lead to a tighter unity and bond within the congregation uh, because mm-hmm. in a sense... Uh, you can feel like isolated. You're all, you're all, you've got like, you hang out with one another. That's what you do because it's hard to have a bunch of just Christian friends that are outside of the church because uh, there may not be a ton of them around or, or anything like that. So I mean, that's just one of the things that, that, uh, that I've recognized at least, at least so far and in, in maybe somewhat of a, a similar area to the, the Seattle area, at least in that regard. Yeah, so you mentioned um, one of the things like you, you, you're a big means of grace guy. Um, praise God. <laughs> um, but one of those means of grace is, you know, obviously the the preaching of the word of God. And this is kind of one of our perennial questions that we ask on our podcast, um, ask of our pastors is what's your kind of philosophy of ministry or a, not your philosophy of ministry, philosophy of preaching 
Um, like, are you a big applications guy? Are you more redemptive historical? Um, that kind of thing. And then um, following that, what does your sermon preparation look like kind of week in, week out? Yeah. Um, yeah, my philosophy of preaching is, is, I guess I would summarize it as what whatever fits the text. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that makes sense. I mean, I find there's different things you do when you focus on if you're preaching from the Psalms or if you're preaching a narrative or, or you're preaching a more of a doctrinal instruction. Um, I did, I, I was molded and shaped under the tutelage of uh, Dr. Pruto at mm-hmm. the seminary. So I'm, I'm very much, a, I, I, I try to bring as much application in as I can um, just kind of little bit by little bit, bringing people along to, as he called the ring around the bathtub when you're mm-hmm. that one <laughs> point that you want people to come away with. Um, so I, I, I organize things from, so there's, there's a couple of, or three, three guys that have really impacted me with sermon preparation and, and preaching Denny Pruto. Um, another one would be Calvin Traup. Um, I, I took his week long intensive public speaking course at seminary when it was offered. And that was really, really helpful. Um, and then um brian chapel um i went through some demon courses and took his christ-centered preaching course and uh, that was also uh, very helpful um typically what i do is i start you know like some pastors will take monday off um i've early in my ministry i had an older opc minister in seattle who recommended i I instead take Friday off and as my off day and, and have uh, more of like a business type work week or, you know, Sunday through Thursday. Um, and, uh, and so I followed that and I, I found I, I've always been one on Mondays <clears throat> kind of tired, but at the same time, I feel like I have more energy on Monday. So Mondays are spent usually doing, all my translation work um i I translate the passage and then start developing a um an exegetical point and working through what things i'm going to explain and um and then the next day i i work through more of uh narrowing down you know what brian chapel calls the fallen condition focus of seeing okay how is god how is god the hero in this text and i've kind of tweaked that to you know, where is Jesus in this text as well? And kind of from that, as I think through it, develop kind of my main application and which then I develop a rough outline. And then after that, I, I read my commentaries and stuff. And then after that, I fill in my outline. So I, I don't use a manuscript. That's one of the things I, I took away from Pruto and, mm-hmm. and Traup as well. So I've, I, I toyed with when I was, interning my first internship I did with Bob Hempel and Laramie this was right when he had left Winchester or Westminster and moved up to Laramie and so there was no preaching going on so I spent two weeks with Marty Wilsey when he was in Longmont and two weeks with David Reese when he was in Springs and I had basically a glorified manuscript outline that was six pages long I was preaching at the Springs and I had turned a page and didn't pick up all the pages underneath it and slid it in <laughs> and I forgot where I was going. So I tried to go back, but the page at the bottom wasn't the right page. And I'm sure it didn't take that long, but to me, it seemed like an eternity. It was only like yeah. the third time I preached before a congregation. And <sighs> that day I decided, all right, I'm getting this down to one page. <laughs> I'm not flipping pages around. So, um, so that's what I use. I, I use a single sheet and I, um, Cal, uh, Trout was really good at helping develop ways of wording your points so that it would trigger kind of where you want to go. And I think personally, again, God has gifted us in different ways. There are some men who should never use an outline, that they should always use the manuscript and they do it really well. And then there's some men who really, they shouldn't use a manuscript because they just end up reading and you know no one really wants to be read to for 
35, 40 minutes, half an hour, hour, whatever. And so I'm the latter. I've, I've tried using manuscripts and I end up reading it most of the time. And so mm-hmm. um, outlines help me <clears throat> be engaged. And mm-hmm. so you- when I develop my outline, I, um, I'm sure sometimes my wife walks in me here, but I used to go to coffee shops and work as well. And I often spend just a lot of time staring off into space, thinking through things (laughs) and then jotting down notes. So I'm sure Uh people just like looking at me like, what, are you okay? Like what's, (laughs) what's going on? (laughs) Do you, uh, with, with your outline, um, since you were kind of influenced by Pruto, do you do the seven moves and the, you know, explain, illustrate, apply transition kind of thing? No, not as I've, I've kind of a, abandoned that that's where I, I kind of whatever the text gives I found that you know the the moves and stuff are great but I also felt there are times where I was forcing a move maybe so I mean some of my outline most of my outlines are three points um, but sometimes I have an outline that's two points sometimes I have an outline that's four I think one time I had an outline that was seven um, so you know I just depending on what the topic is or the passage, just I develop it according mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are you, uh, what are you guys going through right now? Uh, what book of the Bible? Uh, Ephesians. Ephesians. And nice. in the morning and then in Seattle, I preach through all the Psalms over the 11 and a half years there. So okay. in the evening, I'm just tweaking those and preaching those. So as a church plant and as a tent maker, then I can, yeah, I can still preach in the evening. I don't have to devote mm-hmm. as much time preparing those. Yeah, at least for three years, then, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And then we'll, we'll see what happens after. I I may just go through 119. I don't know. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Stretch it out as long as I can. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But to that, maybe some advice regarding sermon and or preaching to students and young pastors. I, I would encourage... Man, I was always encouraged to listen to pre- good preachers, and I think mm-hmm. there's value in that. You should listen to uh, men who are good at what they do and glean what you can from that. I would uh, just also encourage people not to men to not try and be like those pastors. Um, don't don't try to preach like Sinclair Ferguson, Ferguson, or don't try to preach like R.C. Sproul. Don't try to you know preach like these men. Mm-hmm. Just develop your own your own personality and your own voice and just preach as you would preach. Yeah. Joe, stop preaching like Stephen Furtick, I think is uh, what Ryan's saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have arms like Steve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah. I remember, I think the, uh, uh, I think it was George Gregory. It was uh, insightful too. And I mean, much of what you said has just been along what many other guys have said, you know, kind of do what the text does. And and George even, uh, I remember I was struck by the fact that he will sometimes, depending on the text, go in with nearly just a, a very basic skim skeleton. And other times he's almost a manuscript guy, you know, just depending, mm-hmm. is it a, is it a doctrinal didactic portion where he's wanting to say a bunch of things super clear or is it a narrative where there's a lot more flow to things? And so, mm. you know, even he almost even applies the um, not just saying what the text says as far as, you know, how you're going to preach it, but even to how you're going to put it together, you know, or what you're going to take into the pulpit uh, with him mm-hmm. even even varies, you know, per the text. And so I love that. That's one of my favorite rules when it comes to preaching is uh, that I heard just just do what the text does, you know, um, right. Simplifies things. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So no, you go, were you going to say something else? Oh, I was going to say, did, did, um, Jerry O'Neill or anybody, when you guys were at seminary, tell you about the shortest sermon in RPTS history? No, no. but you can. I'm super curious. He told us that, uh, uh, there was a professor years ago, this is decades ago, years and years before, well before Pruto, but he was, uh, the preaching professor, I forget who it was, but was big on no notes in the pulpit. And so he would make his students preach without notes. And the story goes, a guy came in, he read his text, and then he said, there are no weeds in the Garden of Eden. 
And then he paused. And then he repeated, there were no weeds in the Garden of Eden. Closed his Bible and prayed. (laughs) (laughs) He he forgot everything. Nice. 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 You know, we should have a whole podcast dedicated to the most bizarre sermons we've heard at RPTS. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From Professor Christine. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> we always knew when uh, a student wasn't doing that great when Pruto would always sit in the front. And there were there were a couple times where he was looking at it, he was had his Bible in his lap and he was listening. And he just like picked up his Bible, closed it, and set it down next to him. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, I don't need this. <laughs> right. Well, and especially once that becomes known amongst the student body, and then you see him do that, you know, if you're <laughs> preaching or something like that, it's like, uh, how do you even keep going? Yeah, I, uh, I think we just lost, um, lost Ryan here, but it was a way for him to come back, you know, because we both took Denny's uh, preaching class, and I've said on the podcast before that we were both Denny and I were very close. I just remember there were times where I would be preaching at uh, Second RP that I interned out a few uh, years ago, and I would always know if I was off base because he just doesn't hide his emotions, and he just gives like this most bizarre look, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then <laughs> and he'd be quick to let me know. Um, but yeah, it looked Ev- like, go ahead. I was just say, Keith Evans good at that, too. Like, if you're preaching and Keith Evans is listening, he does not. And he knows this. He does not hide what he's thinking about your sermon. You either know he agrees with you or that he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Very good. No, Ryan. Yeah. One of, um, so one of my favorite questions to ask guys and speaking about Keith Evans, he's, he's somebody I asked this and uh, his answer to this question I'm about to ask you was uh, patience and peacemaking. Uh, and that was a helpful conversation I had with him, but just, um, just I love asking guys, you know, one or two things that you've learned in ministry um, that that if you could go back in time or write yourself a letter or something like that, or that you wish you would have known uh, now, mm-hmm. or let's say you did know, you just didn't see the importance of it or give the attention to it. And you've come to realize how critical it is. Just one or two things that Ryan Hemphill knows now that uh, he wishes Ryan Hemphill would have known just starting out. Sure. Um, what the first thing that comes to mind is to, when you're going into a, especially established church situation to just ask the elders, okay, what do you guys do? What is your normal pattern? Like, how are things done here? Um, cause yeah, every congregation, especially established ones, I mean, you're just, you're a new guy coming in. They, they have years of history where they have patterns established and, uh, some of those things are, you know, good pattern. Some of them maybe need to be tweaked. But um, it was a question I didn't ask going into Seattle. And I think earlier on, it could have saved me some trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, because things, I just did things as I thought they were done. But it turned out that wasn't how things had been done. And so people saw that as drastic changes, mm-hmm. which that's what I, you know, one of the things Pruto always drilled into us that I think is very wise and people, men need to stick to is you don't go in guns blazing where God calls us as shepherds, not cowboys. And mm-hmm. we are, um, you know, you get to know and love the congregation. And that was my motivation going in, but I inadvertently, just because I didn't ask a simple question. Um, did the opposite and came across as someone who's making drastic changes. Um, so that would be one thing I'd encourage young men to do, to sit down with your session and say, okay, how are things done? What's, mm-hmm. what's your pattern? Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, from that, wisely choose which, like what, what are the actual real necessary hills to die on? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing would be, Prout always use the illustration of you know, dripping water on a rock, you know, how do you change a rock? You water slowly dripping on it and shapes it and molds it over time. And uh, so, you know, there are things maybe if, I mean, if there's blatant heresy going on, sure, change that. But for the most part, some things are just traditions that have been ingrained and maybe you don't like them, but 
you know, so what? Just do it for a little while and over time, see how things can mold, be molded and shaped. Um, the other one would be something that I knew, but I wish I actually took it to heart more going in is I'm by nature a people pleaser. I mean, I like people to be happy. I don't like people to, I don't like confrontation. Mm -hmm. I don't like upsetting people. And I knew going into the ministry that you're going to upset people, but I don't think I really took it to heart like I should have. So it doesn't matter what you do. You will always have someone that isn't hundred percent pleased with what you're doing. And remember we, um, we are not employees of the congregation. They are not mm -hmm. our bosses. God mm -hmm. is the one who is our boss and we have to make sure that we please him. It doesn't mean we sit out to annoy people. We don't sit out to frustrate people, but make sure our consciences are clear before God and doing what he says. And, uh, um, yeah. Um, another thing, maybe a third thing would be, uh, make friendships with your elders. And that was something I knew going in and, you know, by God's grace, we were able to do over the years, but you know, and just treat your elders as the brothers that they are and, uh, uh, do stuff outside of ministry with them. Um, and, you know, invite them over for just a game night at your home. Um, um, go out together. Um, just Harry Metzger would always, one requirement he had was that his, his elders would meet with him to pray at some point during the week. It mm. could be at any time that fit, fit their schedule, but, you know, developing those friendships and those relationships, you're less likely to have issues and mm -hmm. you're more likely to have brothers supporting you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to write that down. My job is not to intentionally annoy people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. Just... <laughs> At least you caught it early in your ministry. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, That's why we're doing these things. <laughs> right. Hopefully it's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I guess on a, on a more serious topic than just uh, annoying people. You know, you talked about being in the uh, Pacific uh, Presbytery and one of the challenges being just you guys are so spread out, so far apart. Um, what are some ways that, uh, you know, Joe and I and then those listening uh, to this podcast can be praying for um, that Presbytery there? Yeah, um, I think the biggest prayer request we have now is for God to strengthen what he's given. Um when I came into the Pacific coast, we had five congregations or yeah, five congregations. Um, we now have 11 churches and or 10 churches and church plants and then one prison ministry. Um, so over, and that's just been since 2011, 2012. So the past 10 years, God has um, a little bit more than doubled. And in reality, you know, the Canadian Presbytery was just formed last year or this past, yeah, last spring. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, all those churches were a part of the Pacific Coast. So up until recently, we've had, so that would have been 15 total. And so since 2011, 2012, we grew from five to 15. And then four of those were taken by the Canadian Presbytery. And of those 10 missions and churches, um, we have seven that either are only have a pastor, like church planning situation, or only have ruling elders. So we have uh, a lot of work and we have few men. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm church planning, but I was also with Colin Samuel's resignation uh, from Reno. I'm the moderator of the Reno church now. So I feel like I kind of got two church plants that I'm moderating and then just being clerk of Presbytery and things like that. Um, so we have a, one of our core family families is a medical doctor. He's a pediatrician. You know, I was talking with him on Sunday. 
about this and and he just he gave a wise illustration he says well this really reminds me of kids growing like you know you your kids will just shoot up and then they'll enter a period of expansion so you know the lord has shot us up and he's given us these works and doubled us in size and so what we're praying now is for god to fill us out Hmm. and uh, strengthen what he's given also honestly a a prayer that we have for our vacant pulpits is that they've struggled getting men out here I i mean i think there's a host of reasons for that i think people think about you know, living in California and they're like, no, 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 thank you. Um, and, uh, I think a realization the Lord would, we know that the Lord has under shepherds for these churches, but that, uh, he would bring them to light soon and that he would give those churches comfort that he is indeed preparing a man to come. That will be what the, that congregation needs. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, we're we're close to concluding here, but we've we've now come to the uh, the closing section where we like to test men's orthodoxy with fun theological questions. Oh, no. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the secret's about to yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so Ryan, we always ask a uh, kind of a pop quiz, just silly oh, theology no. question, and nobody's known about it. But we just started posting these uh, podcasts a couple weeks ago, so the secret's going to get out. So you're probably one of the last few guys who's going to be taken off guard by a uh, pop quiz question. Yeah. And right. we're trying to, we're trying to rotate it every prepare form, myself like the... some Presbytery yeah. Yeah, exactly. intervention here. Yeah. <laughs> the first four guys we asked the question, you know, could Jesus have gotten ill? So not just did he, but could he, and then you will be the last of this most recent question. So there's three guys that have answered before you. Aaron and I have some thoughts, but we we will withhold all of that information from you until you answer. <laughs> so basically, the question we're wanting to know now is, what does Ryan Hemphill think on the uh, issue of individual guardian angels? In Matthew 18, uh, we read Jesus talking about little ones, and he mentions their angels. And then in Acts chapter 12, uh, when Peter's busted out of prison and he comes and Rhoda answers and she runs in to tell everybody and they say she's out of her mind. It's his angel. You know, and then Hebrews one, we read about the angels being ministering spirits. And so uh, we're, we're on a mission to settle the debate. Are there individual guardian angels for individual believers or not? What, what is what is Ryan Hemphill's vote on this issue? Uh, which question do you want me to answer first? I'll, does it matter? Uh, the guardian angel one is the one I'm, <laughs> I know angel. there were a bunch of subset questions in there probably, but yeah, the main issue we're wanting to know is, yeah. Well, do you think there are individual guardian angels uh, or not? Yeah, let me give you some time to think about that, Joe. You got to stop telling people about the, uh, could Jesus get sick question? Cause I'm getting text messages from people wanting to answer that one. <laughs> are you really that's hilarious <laughs> or or they'll, yeah. they'll they'll keep talking about it after uh after we record i have an answer for that one <laughs> well i mean if you want to give it go yeah. ahead um we've already said i think this debate, yes Ryan. he could so i mean he was he shared our weaknesses but was without sin we don't when we whenever we get sick we're not sinning we're just suffering the frailties of humanity so well, um, you're you're in line with every other uh guy we asked okay. Sure. Uh, the other one um, reminds me of a story. I had a fellow classmate in in uh, going through the Midwest Presbytery with me. They all will remain nameless for now, but um, he we were going through exams together, and I had already gone through my systematic exam, so I was sitting there watching his, and he was asked about superlapsarianism or infralapsarianism, like <laughs> what is it? And he and I met our eyes, and I just I did this to him. I was like. Don't do it. <laughs> and I was in the back and he kind of looked away from me and he said, this is vain speculation. He said that on the floor mm. of Presbytery. And, um, and I, I just dropped my head. I was like, <sighs> and the examiner just said his name, what is superlapsarian in here? He didn't want to know if he mm. believed it. He didn't mm. want yeah. to know to define it. So uh, in one sense, I think uh, 
it's a vain speculation, <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, subtly, because I think, um, one personally, I do believe that God gives angels charge over us. Um, cause he says he does clearly. I think the question that I would have is whether there is one particular angel that is assigned to me for all my life, or if, you know, there's a rotation of, you know, okay, you, you know, go here, he's whatever. And if they're always there or not, we don't know, but we do know definitely that they are ministers for us, to us and um, that they are given charge over us. I mean, I've always, you know, kind of tongue in cheek thought, well, you know, when I get to glory, I'm going to have to apologize, you know, because that, <laughs> you know, our guardian angels have, you know, they've been with us and, you know, it's, sorry for what we put them through you know right but right it's um but yeah i mean it's it's uh i think it, it's definitely we have guardian angels i mean god is a god of means he's sovereign but he's a god of means and he's chosen to use angels for the watching over his people um so yeah he even watched over is. christ ministered to him so. amen amen yeah i was um I think that's that's basically in line with with what we've heard so far. I think I think Daniel Howell came down uh, perhaps with the most uh, most black and white of all of the answers. He he would say that we do have individual guardian angels, or at least he strongly leaned in that direction. I mm-hmm. think the rest of the answers were uh, somewhere on the shade of gray on this uh, mm-hmm. on this question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that they are they are there. I mean, we're told regardless of your view of head coverings. I mean, we know that they are present with us in worship. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they're, they're with us. And, Mm. um, you know, there's been also just countless really cool stories of people that have maybe witnessed them or seen them for a variety of reasons. God allowed that, um, at a particular difficult time. So, Mm -hmm. It's uh, they're there, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. A little for, fun uh, fact for you guys. Yeah. Um, you know, my uncle is James Wright. I don't know if you knew that. He was the pastor in Orlando for many years, mm-hmm. and um, he always joked. You know, there's that passage about the angel of the Lord slaying 180 some thousand, um, you know, soldiers, and uh, so he <laughs> he one time did the math. So when Jesus said told peter he could call down 12 legions of angels my uncle's like they could have wiped out 14 billion people (laughs) nice nice i never thought about doing the math on that but that's great yeah and you know you started this podcast by saying you're not a math guy and and here we are basically concluding it with uh um, statistics full circle full circle that's right there's there's a chiasm to this uh podcast i guess (laughs) Um, before, just don't dig through and find what the center is. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> the center is uh, don't intentionally be annoying, perhaps. Um, <laughs> so before we uh, totally sign off here, how can people find more information about the uh, church plant there in Boise, Idaho? Do you guys have like a website or anything like that? Yeah, we have a website, um, Boise Reformed Presbyterian dot com. Um, we uh, and then we have a Facebook page which is Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. And um, there's an Instagram account, but it's not that active. But um, but yeah, that, that website and Facebook page are probably the, the two ways to get information about us. I will be, um, I'm on the home mission board as well. And so I'll be, I'm in the process of writing an article about the work for the witness that, that will come out in August, July issue or july august issue okay well looking forward to it if you guys find yourselves in the boise idaho area uh, be sure to stop by and uh, support the church plant there this has been the uh, blue banter podcast we're working on setting up uh, an email account so if you have uh, questions that you'd like us to ask uh, the pastors that we have on here or perhaps you would like to recommend that we interview interview your pastor just be on the lookout for further announcements about that uh, email address Um, We're on iTunes and Podbean, if you guys would be so kind as to perhaps rate and review us, uh, preferably five stars only, though if you feel necessary to give us a one star, uh, Joseph, we understand 
Um, sometimes listening to your beard is a little grating, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> that's probably the wise move. All right, well, for now, um, all that remains is for us to sign off. So whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God. <laughs>